Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. How's it going, pal? Any crack? Story, kid. I'd murder about pens. Ah, lads, I'm in a bleeding bojangle. Ah, Jesus. Are you messing? Get up out of that. Don't be acting the maggot. He's some dust. He's bleeding massive. He's some shaber. Ah, yeah. He's your aunt. Hello everybody, Konstatu, what is the crack? Welcome back to Tis Yourself. Yes, we've been away for a few months and this is season four. The fourth season in two in less than two years. That, that's pretty good going, I have to say. The fact that we've been able to get this many celebrity guests to come and chat to me is amazing. And of course, that during this time that I've picked up the best new podcast award at the Irish Podcast Awards there in September. Oh my God, still in shock. <laughs> the uh, award up on my sitting room wall and every so often I'm kind of like, yo dude, how did that happen? <laughs> but we are back with another epic season. I say we, me, you all know by now if you listen that it's just myself, myself, my microphone, my Zoom, uh, my laptop and I then just reach out to the the celebrity universe to see who will come and chat to me and this season we have some amazing guests from Ireland to the US and everywhere in between I've been really lucky to get some brilliant super brilliant people this year and I'm just ah, I'm so excited for you to hear them and I thought I'd kick it off with one of the best now myself and this guy okay we had all the banter we're very similar we're very um we want to have the crack. We want to make people laugh. We're those kind of people. But this guy does it for a living as well as selling houses. Okay. He gets hundreds of requests uh, to for videos. People asking him for videos to make their loved one happy, to make them happy, to cheer them up, whatever it may be. You may know him as the Todd from Scrubs. Robert Maschio is my first guest for season four of Tis Yourself. We've had some amazing American guests down the years. We've had Tom Lenk from Buffy, or Jim Mitty from Breaking Bad, Jerry O'Connell. And again, I'm kicking off with an amazing American guest. Rob is so, so lovely. This is his only, this is only his second ever podcast. And the one he did before this, Fake Doctors, Real Friends. The one, you know the one with Zach Braff and Donald Faison? Yeah. Like, how am I in the same criteria as Zach Braff? I, and Donald Faison I don't understand but hey I'm going with it so I got to chat to Robert all the way from Santa Monica where he now lives and works he is, sells real estate which he'll tell you all about and he does hilarious cameo videos so if someone's birthday is coming up and you're thinking oh, I don't know what to get them a cameo from the Todd winning you'll hear why you'll want it throughout this chat by the end you're going to want your own personal chat with him as opposed to just listening to me have a serious crack with him 
Um, so I'm not going to chat to you too much more here. I want to let you enjoy the episode. You'll hear all about um, why he got into real estate, why he was never in law and order, how he feels about stepping away from the shows like the Scrubs. The banana hammock, of course, comes up. High fives, innuendo. It's all there. We talk about John C. McGinley. We talk about, um, you know, Ted and all the lads from Scrubs. We talk about life pre and post Scrubs and... I'm not even sure if you'll believe what he did in college. But here, don't listen to me. Listen now. Robert Mascio, a.k.a. the Todd from Scrubs, here on Tis Yourself right now. Whoa, hi. Hi to you. (laughs) Nice to meet you. You too. But I have so much I want to talk to you about because obviously I want to talk Scrubs. I want to talk Cameo. I want to talk L.A., but I want to go back. Whatever you want. I want to go back to the start. Yeah. Young Rob, you know, did he want to be an actor? Oh, God. What what was he thinking of? I mean, like, at what period of my life? Because I've always said that if I had the chance, I would have lived five different lives. There's so many different interests that I have. And throughout, like, even in college, like, freshman year, I was pre-med, then pre-law, then politics, then journalism, and I became an actor. So, like, I was constantly trying things and searching. So it's really hard to say. I'm sure we all feel that way to a certain extent. Yeah, I think so. Like, although we probably haven't changed as many times as you have in college. Well, I was just primarily an actor. That was my first career. And it's only recently, like, the last five or six years when I got into, like, my mid-40s. And I was just always interested in real estate, for example, and where I live specifically in Santa Monica that I just transitioned into it because it became more than a hobby. It became a way to make a living that I enjoyed doing. So I think it's hard for people to transfer and do have second careers and they have them to varying degrees of effectiveness or happiness. But for me, you know, knock on wood so far, so good. Well, like it must be so weird for people who don't know that that's your job and they walk up and they're like, is is that the guy? Is that the guy? (laughs) It could be, and sometimes they're like, like we go to school together, like, uh, you know, where do I know you from? And I never really talk about it per se. I, I say this, it's never my opening line mm. when I'm working with real, but it's always my closing line. Because ah. once they find out, they're like, oh, we got to go with this guy. This is the guy. There's got to be. No, I knew I, I liked him for some reason. I wasn't quite, quite sure what it was. Now I know. <laughs> yeah, like who doesn't want to say they bought their house from the Todd from Scrubs? Like, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to say. It's a very Hollywood thing to say, oh, yeah, we moved to, we moved to Los Angeles and, and our realtor used to be an actor. <laughs> it's a very funny thing to say. That Yeah, that is so Hollywood. It's like everywhere you go, you know, somebody is like driving a bus and they're like, but also I used to be in like All My Children or Saved by the Bell or whatever. And you're like, Oh my God, I know your face. I know, I know. It's very odd, right? It's very odd. Well, so you start, you had the dream of being an actor, but you went into college and you studied politics, was it? In college, I was a good student and um, I was an American politics major, yes. Columbia is an Ivy League school, fancy school, a good school. But while I was studying all these different things, like I would do plays on the side because it was fun and it was like there was no feeling or emotion like that feeling I had the moment I walked out on stage and I did plays that even musicals they weren't necessarily comedic but I found myself getting laughs where no laughs were supposed to be and I just had a knack and I had done plays and you know when as a kid in elementary school but then at some point 
you know, as a guy, I played football, basketball, baseball, and I just played sports and I kind of let that go. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of rediscovered it while I was in college, believe it or not. So of all the things I could have done out of college, you know, I chose something that was like crazy in a way, like it was very naive to become, to say, I'm going to, at least for me to say, I'm going to be an actor. This is how I'm going to make my living. Cause it's, I had no idea how hard it was, you know? And yeah. probably if I had known, I, I might not have done it because I spent like a solid decade, like doing theater that nobody came to. And then I was like, well, what else do I have to do? I got to do stand up. I'm going to do improv. I'm going to do sketch. And like, I just kept doubling down on the craft. Mm. And, but the business is so different. Like getting good at the craft is one skill set. Getting good at the business is a totally different skill set. And some, and you have to get some luck at some point along the way. Yeah. So it all has to sort of come together. Unless you're born into the business, mm. which more and more I see, wow. That's why that person works all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yes. They're, they're, that's who their mother is. Okay. It makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Like, oh, they were born and raised in LA. They understood what an audition was like from the time they were like five years old. Mm-hmm. Or they saw their parents go through this and they understand. Or they're so hooked into this community that it's just, this is their community. And I think a lot of people who come to LA or New York, for example, they don't, they don't know any of that. And much like I didn't know any of that. I just thought just to be as funny as you can in any different venue. And eventually you'll get an opportunity. But what is it like turning around to your, like, you know, stu- the other fellow students, you know, studying very serious American politics and everything is very serious. And you're like, and you just want to come and see me in this play. Down <laughs> <on> the road. <laughs> I, it was like two different sides of my brain. And I, I never really even, it was just like a hobby while I was in mm-hmm. college. And it was after college, I went to this, school called the neighborhood playoff school of the theater it was a two-year acting conservatory it was a very old-fashioned approach to acting and it was formed by this founded by this gentleman named sandy meisner it's the meisner technique of acting and he was an old guy by that point i was probably in one of the last classes that he taught mm. but um it was in new york and it was a total departure from what i've been doing but it was like an old school approach to studying the craft like you i was going to be a triple threat like sing dance and act which is so ridiculous but I found myself bringing in material like sketches that I wrote that were more like Saturday Night Live. Mm. They weren't like Tennessee Williams plays. Like I found my voice and the venue and it was like sketch comedy, Neil Simon sitcom comedy. So eventually I found the right, you know, venue. Like when I was in New York, like I never got on Law and Order or The Sopranos. Like I never got cast in those shows because I just didn't have those qualities as an actor. I wasn't, I didn't have that gravitas. I was just funny. So it took a long time to figure that out even. Mm. Um, but eventually it led me to LA because that's where all the comedies were shot. Yeah, well, I think it's it's worth knowing where your power is because so many people want to be, as you say, a triple threat. But even within acting, they want to be able to be um, deadly serious. And then I want to be hilarious, but also I want to be taken seriously. You know, and they can't, stick with what they are good at you know they want to be seen in all the different lights and only certain actors can you know like you look at like let's say Brian Cranston there brilliant and Malcolm the Middle then plays Walter White how many actors can actually do that without you constantly thinking of the the former character you know yeah well he is an exceptional actor he's really the exception to the rule I think sometimes it's good to get typecast as something because then you'll continue to work as that something whatever that may be yeah. So, but comedy is so specific, 
You know, it's so specific and it's changed since I, you know, the one chance I actually do, I mentioned to you where I get to, you know, uh, do comedy is through this cameo app because to this day I'm connected to scrubs fans. Cause they, they, they request a video message from me. And it's not like for Rob Maschio. It's like, can you give me like full Todd or full the Todd or half, or can you keep it PG Todd or rated R Todd or rated F or, you know what I mean? So it's so, and so during the course of my day, I'll shoot a couple of these every day, like just in the comfort of my own home. And it's the chance for me to make like these two to three minute comedic videos where I have a script for the most part that I've, you know, like scrubs references and whatever the occasion is, but then I get to riff and it's like the ultimate venue for me, for my skill set, And it's just, so that's so fun for me to do, but but if I were still acting today, like I would never get that freedom to like because they're giving me the script and they're telling me what to do, and it's very different. And the other thing I want to say to you about comedy today in general is this: it's so fragmented. The audience, like what some people find funny, some others don't anymore. Some people are very offended all the time. Mm-hmm. Things are not politically correct. The very male humor that my character portrayed on Scrubs 20 years ago would be like a little risky to do now, not realizing that he was just an idiot and the the butt of his own jokes, you know, so therefore kind of innocuous and harmless. I think that would be lost on some people who are just so reactionary today. So comedy has changed. Um, maybe I got out at the right time. I don't know. <laughs> it's well, so maybe they'll pull me back in. I don't know. It's so funny because you say that it's so true that so much comedy is like reaction. But the funniest part is most people who watch Scrubs, their fam- favorite character is the Todd. So it's kind of like this very small minority of people who will get offended on other people's yeah. behalf. Like, they're oh, he offended a woman there. And you're like, well, I'm a woman and I think it's hilarious. And you're like, why are you getting offended on my behalf? It's very small minority because there's if you actually listen to the comments and stuff, it's all just like, really, he's just, he's a bit of crack. He's a bit, he's a bit dim, but he's also a bit charming. And he loves everybody because he's chatting up guys, girls, grannies, grandpas. The whole lot. <laughs> That's a good point. You're right. People are very focal on there. I, I have to say my feedback on social media has been exactly what you've just said. People who are smart enough to discern and know the difference realize because the character had no understanding of how other people saw him he became the butt of sort of like every one of his own jokes. Like he was harmless. Like he's talking about, like you say, like people have told me, he said, you know, you're the first bisexual character on TV or you're the first pansexual character. And like, I didn't know all that. We just thought it'd be funny to have the Todd's sexuality be in a gray area where it was never defined because that opens up so many comedic opportunities, you know, it was all just about the joke. It was all just about making people laugh. Yeah. It's about making political statements. Yeah, it's like when you think you know the Todd, he says something else. You're like, wait, what? What? He's He's like this now? (laughs) It was a very funny character to play, you know, and Bill Lawrence wrote that character with me in mind. And I think he wrote to my strengths and and avoided my weaknesses. Mm. And I had known him. I I, coincidentally, when I first came out to L.A. in 1992, nine or ten years before Scrubs was created, I went. I was doing stand-up comedy. It was a miserable uh, stand-up is a tricky world for me. I didn't really like being in clubs every night per se, but I wanted to get on stage to get better in front of audiences. Anyway, I was doing a lot of that and I took a break because I saw this ad in the newspaper and it said like um contemporary comedy, baby face yuppie. Uh and it was and I went and auditioned and it was like a four-character play, and he was in the room because he wrote it and he had his buddy directing it. 
Wow. And anyway, I got cast in this little 99 seat theater play. It was supposed to be like for three weeks and it ran for like three months. And he used that script as a writing sample and he got staffed on the first season of the TV show Friends from that play. And his career just took off. Mm. But that's how we met, you know, doing a play 10 years before Scrubs even ran. And um, and he, we, we became friends just because we had interests like comedy and basketball and sports and, and we just hit it off. And so when the time came for Scrubs, he um, he cast me in this part because he knew that I could play sort of like a, a, you know, a jockey frat boy like they needed a surgeon. And it was it just it was just very lucky that mm-hmm. that all came to be. But um, I'm just thinking right now of over the thousands of auditions I went on. The one part that anybody would ever ever remember me from is a part I didn't even audition for. It was given to me based on my experience having worked with on with him on a play ten years before. Isn't that insane that you made such an impact on somebody not in an audition wise? There's so many people who will be actors who might listen to this and go, they're thinking about giving up because they've got 25 no's in a, in auditions. And you're like, well, actually, if maybe if you're nice to the people that you meet this one mightn't work out, but they're going to remember you down the line as being the nice person who had a bit of fun. You could chat to them about stuff that's not just the role, you know what I mean? And that holds to you. Well, when you're doing a play, it's a very intense experience and you're working together. You, the the mm. job has already been had. You have the job. So now it's like, how do you collaborate? Do you show up on time? Are you like, oh, I was so into it. We were like, hey, let's try it this way. Let's try it that way. He's like, do this. And like, so that's really where the skill is. Like doing the play, doing a play, as actors know, that's where all the good stuff is. And that's where you make lo- lifelong friendships, particularly if it's a great experience. Whereas walking into a room on audition, it's so sterile. It's so artificial and uncomfortable. And even today now, I think they've gone away from it for the most part, like putting yourself on tape. Mm-hmm. So there's no genuine connection. You're like putting yourself on tape and you send that tape out and who knows what happens. So we loved doing comedy. He was a, I always said that because Bill and I sometimes would go out and do stand up at like little rinky dink venues. And I always thought, I always said like, if we could merge, because he was such a good writer but his stage present at the time, like he was a little shy, like we were in our twenties. Mm. And I was like such a, had such bravado on stage, but my material was horrible. <laughs> so like if we could, could combine the two of us, I always said, well, Bill, we'd be the best stand-up comedian ever. <laughs> he's gotten very comfortable on stage subsequently as he's, as, as he's grown, you know, as he's become an adult. But, um, but that's how we were when we first started. It's very funny. It's so funny when you say even about like failed auditions and stuff. So many people would know that because you made it in Scrubs, you know, in your name and people know you and they know your face, that they never would think that you would have went through failed auditions. They just think, you know, you walk into this role and you become famous. And it's like, well, actually, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of other things going on. It. I was 34 turning 35 when I got cast in the pilot of Scrubs. It was a one or two line part in the pilot. I was a guest star. There were no guarantees I was going to be on the show for the whole run. But apparently the show, my character tested well, that pilot episode with test audiences. Bill liked what I did. The writers saw a need for that kind of character. So they kept me along. And I kept fighting to make sure I stayed a part of that show for nine years. Like I would show up on set and I'd be like, um, I, once I was walking on Melrose with my girlfriend and we saw the store and it said, it was, it, the t-shirt said, I heart vagina. And I thought, oh, my character would wear that. So I bought the shirt 
And then the next Monday, I just showed up to work with not saying anything. And I just walked around with that T-shirt. And I let the writers see me walking around with that shirt. And literally like a month later, the whole sexual harassment storyline where I wore that shirt in the episode appeared. So I was constantly trying to do stuff to get them to write for me, my character, without like saying, could you just write for me? (laughs) I showed them rather than told them, you know. So it was a constant battle to stay on the show. I would have loved to be in the sale assistant who sees you walk in with your girlfriend and buy this T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I should have said, oh, it's for her. It's for her. Maybe you'll join us sometime. We'll go hot tubbing. <laughs> so that's how sometimes, you know, when you start to, you know, be part of a show on a regular basis and you get to know people and they get to know you. Like I was subtly and overtly lobbying the writers on that show for like eight years to just give my character more to do. Because there's like 10 characters on the show and it's only a 20 minute show. And it was very hard for me to get, you know, a storyline, much less airtime. But um, I just was a team player and did the best I could and always showed up with enthusiasm and, and the character caught on. So I was just so lucky to be part of it. And I look and that we're talking about it today is so interesting to me. And that, like I say, people write to me every day and ask for cameos and things. It's like it's like the coolest thing that people still take joy and the silly, they're not, they're not tired of the sexual innuendo in your endo. <laughs> Literally, I was like watching, because I started rewatching it during like part of the pandemic, whatever part. I feel like everybody did this, just rewatch their favorite shows because they're like, I don't want to watch anything that I might be sad about. If I know it ends really well, you know what I mean? Like old happy thoughts and stuff. So I was rewatching it. But some of the jokes like are so brilliant. But the likes of, you know, Kelso, Dr. Cox, um, the Todd and like, um, um, Ted, Ted the lawyer. Yeah. Ted the lawyer, yeah. You need those because there's such a, like, obviously, JD and Elliot, they're, they're the big storylines with the love and uh, Turk and Carla. But you need something in the background that's a bit of fun, like that's a bit that distracts from the, you know, doom and gloom a little bit as well. I think they did a good job of creating that world and they filled that world with supporting actors who were funny because mm. then it's not just like supporting actors who are just sort of expositionally moving storylines along, but actually, because like in the real world, you know, you live in a hospital, you work wherever you work, there's all these different characters and uh, it's very accurately reflective of the world we live in. I think, <laughs> you know, the writers every year they had to um, uh, interview in the off season, like they had to interview 10 doctors and they had to say, you know, just find out stories. And all the storylines were literally from true stories that happened to doctors. And the writers would just find and talk and interview with people. That's why I feel like the show is so reflective or accurate, too, because they captured the world because they're really talking to doctors in, and nurses in the world, in that world. So, yes, the supporting actors or the, as they call them, the B team, which I always found very offensive. And I told them, this is not, I'm not really the B team guys, but if you want to call me that, that's fine. I'm sorry. The Todd and, the Todd and Ted would have been definitely in the A team. The Todd and, a, and a, the Banana Hammock should have its own A team, first of all. Okay. Team Banana Hammock is pretty powerful, I would say to these guys. Nine, but nine and a half. It's extra medium. Let's go. Come on. I imagine so many people ask you on Cameo to do videos in Banana Hammock. Well, that's extra. You know, that costs extra. Come on. That's that, I, actually that should be called OnlyFans. <laughs> but I do have like when I do those things, by the way, I do have some props from the show that I'll whip Ooh. out like the. um, Is this a doc? That's the no, doc tattoo. The doc tattoo. Sometimes people write me and they say, is the doc tattoo real or not? 
and I tell 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 them it's whatever you want it to be. <laughs> Is the Todd straight or gay? I say it's whatever you want him to be. <laughs> He's not bisexual. He's trisexual. He would try the sex with anybody. <laughs> ATM, anything that moves. <laughs> I actually love that they gave the Todd a bit more airtime coming up to like later seasons when he starts to kind of hang around with the the janitor and Ted and all those. The weird migration of he starts to become part of that group is really funny. I, I was so happy for that. The brain trust, the yes. brain trust, as they were referred to, because that's sort of like practically speaking, the writers tapped into that. And then that, because I think they ran out of things for the Todd to do after the first five seasons were the best for the Todd. And then that's so that they incorporated all of us and got us continued to stay on the show through the brain trust. I was just very thankful. I'm glad that they came up with that. And yeah, it was quirky and funny. And to see those characters sitting around a table, like the janitor, nervous guy, Ted, the lawyer, the toddler, was like, what, what is happening here? It was just so odd, but funny. Right. Oh, I loved it. I loved just seeing like, uh, the little guy that was always beside the janitor who wanted to kill everybody. And, you know, then the Ted is, T- Ted's always singing with the, with the group. And then they're just sitting all around. They're plotting to hurt someone. And, and like the Todd is just happy to be there. You know, he's just it's, happy. He's just like a dog. Likes to be part of the pack. <laughs> yeah. He thought he was Turk's best friend for years. And he's just found himself his own little clique. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's in their own world on that show. You know, it's interesting that show still runs. I mean, it runs here at Rerun. I don't know if it runs in Ireland does it still on reruns yeah we got it like um so the UK have it on like all four and channel four so they'll do reruns uh-huh. there and we get it over here as well and then RTE our channel has like it will have sporadically you'll just see like a season of it and you're like wait what this is great just, oh they'll what? just throw a marathon of it on yeah that's awesome you know the first time I made any kind of public appearance you know invited to do it was the, back in like 2007 the Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin, Ireland, invited me to come to speak. <laughs> and I literally came. They paid for a ticket to come to speak. And there I was, like, in front of 200 aspiring surgeons, explaining to them what life would be one day as a surgeon coming from a fake doctor from TV. And I was just like, listen, guys, when in doubt, the Todd's prescription for everything is less moaning, more boning. <laughs> And they were just howling. And I just did like 40 minutes of just like sexual innuendo, bone organ suction jokes. I just did every sort of, and it was just like, oh, I could do this all the time. And it was just so funny for me. But my first experience, Dublin, Ireland, traveling. Insane. Because like, it's a very prestigious college and very serious. I can't believe they were up for the banter like that. That's brilliant. They loved it. And um, and then I think like five years later, there's this whole world of Comic-Cons, which I didn't even know existed because it's more like Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, anime, you know, just like little mm-hmm. Harry Potter. So I got invited, started getting invited to going to these places. And I went back and I did the um, Dublin Comic-Con and uh, like it was so much fun. I don't know. the I, I mentioned to you that I always have a great time when I go to Ireland, uh, maybe because my mom's side of the family is from that part of the world. And um, just like little things like in Dublin, like the Writers Museum. And uh, I just had a great time. And I just love the Irish people because you have, um, I know we're talking in very generalizations here, but like genuinely kind, story oriented, could sit at a bar and talk for hours, like the best people I've ever met. So I just have an affinity um, for Irish ladies. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes. High five. <laughs> Virtual five. Long distance five. Transcontinental five. Mental five. I love that though that people were nice to you over here. I remember reading an interview with uh, John McGinley and he was John C. McGinley and he was like, um, uh, I've never felt more famous than anywhere in Ireland because people were just like, we just love your show. And they don't, it's not like a, a fangirl scream at you. It's more like, I want to talk to you about your experience and sit down here and have a drink and let's have a chat. And I love that instead of the, you know, the Hollywood LA, let's run down the street after somebody. It's more chill out and let's have a chat. Absolutely. I think he must be like a beetle in Ireland. I think his name is McGinley and he's obviously Irish. So maybe like Irish people, like he's one of us. We take him for our own. He's really representing us. And this part of that too. And his family, his brothers, they go every year, uh, every yeah. few times a year, play golf. And um, he's a great guy, uh, by the way. But you you know that already. You don't need me. You don't need the Todd to endorse <laughs> John C. McGinley. Well, it's funny. Everyone is like, is so obsessed with when you when you love a show, you're obsessed with knowing if the people are friends off camera and all this kind of stuff, despite everyone living different lives and stuff. And like, obviously, I listened to you on Fake Doctors with the two boys. And I'm very honoured that I'm your second ever podcast. That was your first. So yeah. I'm very honoured. But um, to hear like Donald had such lovely things to say about you and the time that you guys like played basketball and everything together. I think a lot of the shows pretend to be, oh, we're family, but it's like a fake family. They're not family. They're just together going through this thing. But on that show, we we all generally got along, which was a nice thing. And I think that translated on camera and uh, because it was true in real life, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep up with them as much as I can, you know, but every time uh, after I haven't seen them for a while, mm. it's like we picked up right where we left off. Maybe we'll get like a scroll yeah. this thing at the next Dublin Comic Con. We'll just get like all of you, get as many of you guys as we can over. I tried to get McGinley to go. I don't know. He he wasn't doing them at the time, but um, I said to him, listen, if you're going to be in Dublin anyway, why don't you just spend a day? You could." He's like, ah, I don't know. So I don't know if they ever got him to do it or not, but um, it seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, but the funny thing is, as you said about Comic-Cons, they've gotten, they've definitely stretched out a lot more now into not just the Star Trek and Star Wars. And you'll see shows like, you know, One Tree Hill or Scrubs, obviously. Um, who else did I see recently? Um like Buffy, all these yeah. things are suddenly like because people have they're kind of fallen back in love with the shows that they re- they loved the first time around. There's like whatever show had a cult following mm-hmm. would ha- would would make sense, and then like you say, it becomes like nostalgia, mm-hmm. like it comes around again. And when people ask me for cameos, and I realize why they're asking me, like let's say someone's forty years old, that means like when they were twenty, they were watching the show and they're w- with their uni friends or with their girlfriend at the time, and now like the girlfriend is now the wife, and they have kids, and it's like. I, I'm getting this for our anniversary because it sort of reminds them back of their where they were in life at the time. So yeah. I think there's something about that, right? Where you, when you discovered a show initially and then you go back to it years later and it's almost like you're not only reflecting on the show, but you're reflecting on where you, where your life is and where it used to be. There's something yeah. nice about that, right? Oh, I love it. It also makes you feel younger. You're like, well, the Todd still looks the same. So therefore I still <laughs> look the same as 20 years ago. <laughs> Well, I always say if there's going to be a reunion show or movie or something like I'm going to try and look and get to a place where I looked exactly like I did on that show. If it's the last thing I do, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do it. It's going to be a lot of time in the gym, not in the fasting, but um, I'm, I'm going to cutting and dyeing and pasting and <laughs> reductions, enhancements, well, rejuvenations. You have the exact same face, so you don't need to work on that anyway. 
Well, listen, the banana hammock doesn't hide anything. So, <laughs> and I don't want to let anybody down. Five. Oh, five. <laughs> I don't know how you did that. Go on telly in one of those because, like, that is, you know, you were out there for the world to see. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. Like, when they came in that uh, season two, the first, the premiere of the, episode, uh, the season, there was just like I was going to be in the background between the scene between JD and Elliot. And I was just like looking at myself in the mirror. And I remember brainstorming with the um, with the um, costume Carrie Bennett costume designer. I was like, "Well, if I have it just a towel on, and I take the towel off to whip him or rash tail him, I'll be naked. You can't. We can't do that." So, like, we really talked like rash. Like, what should we wear? What should you wear? And we went to this. Like, uh, she literally went and she bought like fifty different speedos, and and we tried them on one at a time. She just sit there. I tried them on. It was just like ridiculous. <laughs> but we settled on that one, the the flaming banana hammock because it matched my scrubs cap. And we just thought it was so funny visually, you know? So like it was everything for the joke. So I didn't care. I thought it was funny that the, this guy is so full of himself that he's literally putting oil on his chest in a mirror while wearing a flaming banana hammock. Like if so, that's like comedy goal. If a writer yeah. gives you that. So we just I just committed a hundred percent, and then that became like a recurring thing throughout the episode, throughout the season, throughout the in fact throughout the whole run of the show. Yeah. Although as we got to season five and six, I was like, you know, I had the makeup department paint on a six pack on my stomach where one should have been. <laughs> it was just sort of hard to maintain that. Oh God, yes. Six years in a row trying to be like looking buff and every summer when the show wraps, you're like, can I eat? Can I eat for three days and then I have to go back on my diet? Uh, it was it was ridiculous, but it was very funny visually. And for that character who was on camera so infrequently, like I always thought like, how can I get a laugh on every line? How can I get a laugh on everything I do? Because that's really what it's and, and still have some sort of reality to it. You know, because that was what my job was to just bring comedy to the show every moment. <laughs> I love it. But I love that, that you're not like, you. let's say the main four, the, you know, Elliot and Carla, Turk and JD, main four there and maybe Dr. Cox five. You still are one of the most, like I heard the two lads on the fake doctor saying you were the most requested guest by the viewers, they all listeners. They all wanted to hear from your side of the story. And isn't that amazing to be not one of those main five? And yet you're the one that everyone wants to hear. And you're like, you're saying, you know, I'm not in every scene or I'm not in every episode or whatever. But yet the ones that you're in are the ones that people probably remember the most. I think that they had a responsibility to carry the show, to carry storylines. So the nature of their of their roles was much harder in a way because they can't be funny on every line. They're actually having scenes and like moving storylines along. But for me, I was, they would just drop me and it was just pure comedic relief. So it was sort of complimentary to what they were all doing anyway. That's how yeah. I would look at it now. Yeah, so, definitely. They're very serious was, over there. And you're yeah. like the background of the banana hammock. <laughs> yeah. Like they all have their laughs and they're all very, they're all quite funny. But, um, they had other responsibilities as, with, as to carry storylines. Like the Todd is never in a, rarely in a storyline, <laughs> you know? It was just like, he's just some idiot in the background, <laughs> flexing in the, giving a different high five for different occasions. Oh my God. Someone should put together all the high fives Todd has done into like a YouTube or a TikTok or something, literally, because it's every five minutes, it's like, you know, goodbye five, well done five, you know, underpants five. <laughs> they, some, many people have already done it. 
this is like a whole series of high fives. And then I, like when I do the cameo thing, like I need a happy anniversary five. I need a getting married five. I need a happy birthday five. So now they just write themselves. Mm-hmm. It's just so easy to do that. Um, but, you know, that was an improvised thing in season two. Like we came up with like I had to high five JD and Turk, but they were across the way. So I made this like Vera Wang joke. And then I looked and I just said air five. And I snapped it off and then I walked out because I couldn't really high five them. And then the writer's like, yeah, yeah. They just took that and then they just named every high five I did for the rest of the season series. And it was actually quite brilliant. Like the miracle five when I bring the patient back to life or the mental five when I can't. All that stuff was just so funny. It's just like sometimes you don't even know. And then these comedy moments come out of like an improv and then, you know, really smart writers are just like, boom, that's it. We're going to use that. That's what he's going to do for the next three years. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like on the streets in LA and people are coming up to you and they're just like shouting some sort of five at you. And you're like, just as Rob, you're like, okay, okay. <laughs> Constantly waving and high-fiving. That used, that used to happen all the time. When I So there was a short period of time from let's say 2011 to 2015, let's say four years where I did a lot of Comic-Cons because um, I discovered that world. And there were places in this world I always wanted to go to, like Germany, Ireland, Scotland, Australia, New Zealand. And I did go to all these places. And I, it was the Comic-Cons gave me an opportunity to go to all these places. But when I was there during the course of the day, I might literally have high-fived 500 people. And I was like, I'm going to be patient zero here if one person is sick. So I got in this habit, and this is pre-COVID, of carrying around hand sanitizer because every three or four people, I would just constantly put hand sanitizer on because I didn't want to get sick. So when COVID came, I didn't get sick because I was like, oh, I saw this coming from a mile away. People are filthy. Viruses travel airborne. And I am not, I know, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I played one on TV and I could see something coming like this based on my experiences and all those Comic-Cons. Um, and you know what's funny? People probably saw you doing that and be like, why is he doing hand sanitizer? Now we're like, oh, every single one of us has tried <laughs> bottles of hand sanitizer. I know, I know. What have we lived through two years of like insanity? It was just totally insane. And that's why um, there was this reconnection, I think, maybe. with It was the 20-year anniversary of Scrubs last year. And uh, just an outpouring of attention for the show. And like like you say, it, it's coming around again or it came around again, like like nostalgia. But even though like a lot of the guys, like Jay, uh, Zach and Donald, they've moved on. Zach is a movie star he, and a director. He makes movies all the time. And Donald has a new show coming up on NBC and, and Sarah. They all work all the time, Judy. But um, I don't know. There's a soft spot that people have for Scrubs that spoke to them in some way. And I think there's something nice about it. Yeah, and I think That's social cool. media is definitely helping again with with the 20th anniversary last year and the pandemic. The likes of TikTok, you can put up a one minute clip from an episode of Scrubs and then people are miming to it or they're acting it out and then it just goes viral and people are sharing them. And then suddenly you're like, oh, I kind of have a craving to watch an episode now of Scrubs. And, you know, like like I rewatched um, the episode with Colin Farrell the other day just because I was like, just I'd like to watch that episode again. The Todd appreciates hot for girls of gender. <laughs> That's what I said about Colin Farrell. How could that you not say episode. that? Episode. <laughs> I, I, I now I say the Todd appreciates hot regardless of age, gender, disability, species. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it was just Halloween, 
uh, and uh, these kids send pictures of me as themselves dressed up as the Todd for Halloween. And like, they're like, they could be my kids at this point. They're like in college. And I, and they're like, not just guys, they're women who do it now too. And it's like a fun, and it's just so interesting to see how things can take on a life of their own, you know, well, long after it's over, they just, it's so interesting, like Halloween to get a dozen uh, pictures sent to me from kids who dressed up as the Todd for Halloween. <laughs> it's awesome. You're like, especially when it's little kids, you're like, you don't even know what you're dressed as. <laughs> it's like, oh. No, no, it's just a fun character. And it's also a fun character to be all night. You know, you could play a little grab ass all, and you're like, what, what? I'm the Todd. What? It's Halloween. I'm just joking around. And you can say anything and just put a high five at the end of it. Yeah. And people are like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> That's fine then. So like, what was it like leave when the show ended? I can't imagine how, like it's nine series, how you come out of that, how you move on from that, how you like get your brain around it after like that length of time. Well, so like in the beginning, prior to, like I said to you, like I really worked hard and auditioned for everything. Like I auditioned to play Joey in Friends. Oh my God. I, and I came, you know, like I didn't, I several auditions. Like I got along further along and I auditioned to play Will in Will and Grace. Um, I auditioned for a lot of things prior mm-hmm. to. So when I got that, I was just so thankful mm-hmm. to have that because I really kind of struggled for and Anyway, so when it, it was coming to an end, like I noticed that I'm starting to audition again and I auditioned to play um, the dad in, fa- in, uh, in Modern Family that Ty Burrell got. Mm-hmm. And I started going back. I was like I was going back and auditioning again. And I was like, it did like scrubs for me didn't lead to another thing. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I continued to work for like five years, like commercials here and there, independent films here or there. But like it's sort of like just to like sort of like wind down again. And I thought I, I'm not going back to living how I did when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. There's no you know what I mean? So at that point, already my mind was like, well, what else am I interested in life? And, in? you know, what are what are other things that I would be happy doing? So in my mind, the meant like. Being on Scrubs, even though it was a small part, was like the culmination of 20 years of work to get to that place. And there was a natural progression and evolution into like the next thing. So now like I hit this real estate hard where I live in Santa Monica. I got my eight. I'm an agent. Now I'm a broker. Now I'm with a big company. And like I buy and sell real estate right here in Santa Monica along the coast, like Venice, Marina del Rey. And like I love doing it, you know, and like I'm having as much success doing it. So it was a chance. I wasn't just going to hold on is what I'm saying to you. I wasn't going to just go back to living like I did when I was 25. I just wanted to progress and move to the next thing. So it was fine. It was totally fine. Like I would work again as an actor in a comedy if Mm -hmm. something came along that was appropriate. But it doesn't work that way. You have to go chase it so hard night and day. So in the meantime, I can chase real estate night and day and actually get paid on a regular basis too. Yeah, like it's like going back to being a student in your like 30s or 40s if the same way like you're you're let's say you get a really high flying job for 9 years and after studying and then it's like oh actually we want you to go back and live in digs in like a one bed apartment or you know share with 27 people and eat soup out of a can and and hope that a job comes. Like that's a lot to take on after being successful in a show. You're kind of going they should be coming to me rather than me having to go put myself out there constantly. 
I think so. I mean, yeah, basically I would agree with that. And I just had other interests too. You know, I had other interests. And like I said to you in the beginning, like I did notice that there was a shift happening in comedy. Mm-hmm. Like it was so neutered on network TV and so fragmented. Like there's so, the whole, the audience is so fragmented right now between like Netflix and Hulu and, 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 and Amazon prime. And it's like, you're playing to such niche audiences. Now it's just like, unless you're like Will Ferrell or like a handful of people, it's so hard to reach a big audience comedically. And I don't know. I mean, I, I miss doing comedy and that's why I'm so thankful that I get to do these cameos because it's probably the funniest work I've ever done because it's just me riffing in my home on camera. If I don't like it, I just redo it. I redo it. And I finally send it out. I'm like, if any casting or producer or director is looking for me and like what I've been up to, they could just watch six of my cameos. I'm like, Oh good. He's still funny. We could just, and that's what he looks like now. Yeah, I always say here, it's old Todd here. Great to meet you, Five. <laughs> it's the first minute or two when you see me, you're like, you think, well, he looks, see, like, oh, yeah, he's from Scrubs. But like, you know, you can't hide 20 years. No, I think you look the exact same. It's so weird. Like you, when you said you were 34 when you first took on that role, I was like, when I look at that, you look 19. So now you only look 34 now. Well, you're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> that's very nice of you I'm telling you and like I suppose you've got the between the Comic Con and between the cameo you do get to as you say let out your creative you know flow and stuff but I was really surprised because when I was listening to you on with um, Zach and Donald I never thought of the pandemic and how that would affect cameo like so many more people were like looking for that laugh and that personal touch to send to somebody who they couldn't see I never even thought about that and how that would have helped people like you who do cameos it was amazing. It was a phenomenal, like my, in, the, the level of interest in me on Cameo sort of mirrored how the pandemic progressed. Like at first it was like, uh, I'm stuck at home. Can you send me a quarantine five? And then it was like, um, I got laid off. I'm, I'm, and then it was like, oh, we had to postpone our wedding. And then it was, you know, now then it was like my, my husband's a first responder. He had COVID. Like, so there was so much of like people at home stuck needing an outlet. And it exploded, like it totally exploded. And I was doing them all day, every day, and sending these videos to people all around the world. It was wild. So, yeah, and who would have known? I I never would have known. And I just happen to be good at them because, like, I'm a crazy person who just literally works so hard at every comedic moment I ever do. Like, in the beginning, I was writing them out, do this joke, this joke, this joke. But after I did a few thousand of them, I was like, okay, boom, boom, boom. And then it just became like, two to three minutes of pure pleasure about as long as my typical lovemaking session. Hey, now. <laughs> We've like virtually high-fived a hundred times now. It's like, do, do, do. <laughs> it's like second nature sometimes when I'm talking to you. I just do it. This or even sometimes I'm like, I'm waiting for this. I know it's coming this five. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> no, I love that. We sent, I sent one to my friend uh, in, was it 2020 or 2021? I think it was 21. Uh, probably, Eight lockdown number 26 or whatever it was at the time oh. I sent her one from of James Masters from Buffy because we both love Buffy and yeah. he, he did a really good one and he was chatting as James and then he chats as Spike you know and that was great Um, and I loved it but I love that you do yours and you're like full if I'm doing this this is the Todd you're getting the crack you're getting basic comedy for three whole minutes because like you want that That's why I'm so hesitant, like doing this podcast with you, for example. It's like you wanted to have a conversation with me and I'm I'm letting my hair down, so to speak. I am not in character. Mm -hmm. But when I and I don't necessarily think that people want to hear me. 
that's why I always think like just when you're in public or like on a cameo, like just give them pure comedy. They just want to high five. Just tell jokes. Nobody wants to hear your story. Don't don't show them how the sausage is made. Just give them the banana hammock, you know? So it's nice when you meet people. I think like I met that guy, James from Buffy, and he's a very nice guy in real life. And um, it's nice that he goes back and forth, by the way, and gives you a little bit of himself mm-hmm. and a little bit of his character. And I definitely do that when I do the cameos too, because I think people want a little bit of me, but they also want the greatest hits. Yeah. Like if you're going to go see your favorite band, if you're going to go see U2, my favorite band, you want them to play Sunday, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. You know, you don't, oh, we're going to try some new stuff tonight. You're like, wait, what? No, no, no. Just give me what I want to hear, what I'm here for. When they give do me that, with or without you. Yeah. When they play the new stuff, I'm gone to the bar. I'll be back, Bono. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want the best of. I want the greatest hits. Yeah. So I feel like that's this true in comedy also. Yeah, well, I like the idea of when I get, if I'm getting one of these videos, I want to be able to see, watch Rob, like you come on and you talk as you and then like you transfer to the Todd. I don't just, you know, you're not just paying for, if you're an iconic character, you want a bit of the Todd in it. You don't want to be just like, just all happy birthday. How are you getting on? Blah, blah, blah. You want a bit of innuendo, as you say. (laughs) I try and make them personal, like, because the people will give me information about person and I'll try and make jokes that are about their life. Oh, and that's good. That's the best thing. Because then I've really thought about the person, what's funny about their situation. Maybe it's not something they've ever thought about, even just in the form of a joke, you know? So that's yeah. fun for me to do. And it just takes like an hour of my day. Like I just put it on the side, but it's the greatest outlet. It's like I had an acting teacher once and he said, um, he said, uh, this is when I was in college. He's like, oh, you know, you're cursed, Rob. I said, why? He's like, well, because you're very funny. You should but you should really just look at acting as a hobby. And if you, if you manage to make a living at it, then, you know, you're one of the lucky ones. And he was trying to discourage me from going into acting because it's such a hard life. You know, I'm sure he was, but there is something nice about like now at this point in my life, like it's just a hobby on the side where I can make some people laugh and then go back to whatever it is I'm doing, you know, like real estate, for example. So I'm blessed that I still get to do it. And I'm lucky that people are still interested, but people always want to laugh and I can give them a laugh anytime, you know? I spread laughter, love, and happiness one sexual innuendo at a time. (laughs) And in a time where everyone's afraid to say anything, it's so nice to have that. Just to be like, the innocent comedy behind it all, there's no, you know, meanness. It's just lovely. And I bet you now you'll have an influx of Irish people now messaging you for cameos. Wait, you see. Uh, Well, I would be interested to see, like, if people are like, oh, Rob, he was so boring. Or if they're going to be like, oh, I love the Todd. I'm so glad that he's not an asshole. Because sometimes you meet or hear about actors in real life and you're like, oh, that guy's a jerk. You know, it ruins it. It ruins it. Because you might have loved them on a show and then you hear Mm -hmm. them in real life and you're like, oh, what a disappointment. <laughs> One of my favorite shows, um, it's a UK show called Gavin and Stacey and James Corden is in it. He's the main guy uh-huh. in it. And uh-huh. as we all know, he's not doing very well in, in real life at the moment. See, like, I don't know a lot about him, but I just saw all that stuff and he seems so genuine and kind on camera. And then when you hear stuff like that about how he behaves like for in a restaurant, you're like, why? What? Oh, and who knows what's true and what's not? Because you never know. Somebody could say something about anybody and you could be like, oh, I could see that. And then it turns out not to be true. Mm-hmm. I see that all the time, too. So you never know. But like, for example, that guy, I, who knows? I know. Is he a good guy or not? I don't know. 
I know. Or somewhere just, in between. Yeah, you just don't want to hear that they're being rude to waiters because you're just like, they make no money. Leave them alone. Right? I know. That's the worst. That's the worst look ever. To, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. So now we know the Irish people listening or whoever, wherever they're listening around the world will know that Rob and the Todd are still as nice as ever and no diva, <laughs> no diva antics around here. I think that at some point, you know, it's always an excuse to come to um, to Ireland, like uh, probably uh, call up the uh, Dublin Comic-Con guys and say, hey, uh, you should have the Todd back. But I don't know. It's been like five or six years. It's been a minute, but they were the nicest guys and we had a, many pints. Well, so when I went to the Royal College of Surgeons after we went to the pub, and at the time the show was still popular, so guys, people were buying me a pint of Guinness, and somebody bought me a pint, and I'm sitting at the at the uh, at, at where I'm sitting, and I have a pint, and then someone else sees it, and he buys me a pint, and then and I swear to God, at one point there were like nine pints of Guinness lined up for me, and as I got to this one, the guy was like, "I bought you that." He would come over, and then at one point I was like, "Guys, there's a dozen pints of Guinness here. Everybody just come over. Everybody grab a pint and let's just have a drink together." And you're like, it's so ridiculous. You're like, I don't even like Guinness, and now I have to drink them. <laughs> well, one is like a meal, you know, like 12. I don't even know. I mean, I can't. I mean, it reminded me of the story of Woody Harrelson, who um, he used to, he, I don't know, I guess he used to get high all the time. And people would like always want to get high with Woody Harrelson. And they would line up at the bar like, you got to try mine. You got to try my hemp. You got to. And he'd be like, how many? I can't try everybody. But it was such a similar thing. People buy me pints of Guinness when I was in Dublin. See, that's what we love to do. We love to see people come over and enjoy the country. And like, and our whole thing is like, especially if you've no ego, we're like, oh, he's he's a sound guy. I'll buy him a pint. That's our sign of like, you're a good guy. I'm going to buy you a drink. But then you're like, okay, I've had 14. Um, I'm going to die. <laughs> when someone buys you a drink, you can't say no. Mm-hmm. So uh, like if I would leave a bar, um, uh, you know, somebody, but before you go, here's a shot. And I remember leaving a bar one night and uh, I think I had to have three shots of whiskey just to get out of the bar because oh, <laughs> somebody wanted to say I had a shot of whiskey with the Todd. Yeah. And literally just to get out. And you can't say no because it's rude because then to be like, oh, he's he's a, he's not he's a jerk. Yeah. So, you know, I took one for the team that night. <laughs> and then went home and you were vomiting for four hours. <laughs> it's, a t- it's tough. I got to <laughs> as long as I make them happy, though. If the Comic-Con people are listening in Dublin, listen, the Todd wants to come back. Rob wants to come back. I'm sure I'll come back at some point over the next few years. I listened to some of your podcasts, by the way. You're killing it. You're doing well. Apparently, you're very well-liked and well-received. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. It means a lot because um, I started this out when I was working on radio during the pandemic. And then they wanted to change my radio show and, you know, bring in other things that I wasn't really happy with. And I loved chatting people one on one, even over Zoom, which was new at the time. And I was like, oh, everybody has a podcast. Oh, I like to do it. But then I just really love talking to people like, you know, hearing about their story and stuff and just really like, you know, especially I think Zoom has really helped. And you probably know this yourself. Um there's actors like yourself or people in America that I would never get the chance to talk to unless you were in Dublin. So to yep. get to chat to you while you're in, you know, Santa Monica right now, before you go to work or whatever, to do this is so like it's opened up a whole new world. That's so great. I listen to your you're natural. You're great because you listen and you answer and you're very likable. So like it's just so obvious to me that this is a great venue for you. That's part of the reason why I said, yeah, I'd love to have a conversation with her. Oh, thank you. And it's so funny. The day that you um, messaged me back, I was looking at my like stats with the night before and it was like two listens in Santa Monica. 
hmm. And then I got your email. I was like, oh, my God, that was, that was Rob. That was Rob listening to me. <laughs> I know. It's so funny when you see people. It's like, well, that's good. It's just, and it's on your, your fourth season. Yeah, fourth season. It's great just to, yeah, like to do something outside the norm. I'm sure, it's like you with the cameos, I think, to have a creative out of the mundane, and not the mundane, but like the day-to-day, the stuff that's the same, you know, the kind of way, you know yourself. If you get a cameo request, you're going to be like, okay, creatively, what am I doing with this? Totally. I look forward to doing it. Like during the course of the day, like I know I'm going to set aside time to knock that out and I'll just script it out and shoot. Yeah, so it's a great outlet. Well, you're just, you know, as I say, (laughs) I'll say to you what I say to many people. (laughs) When I look at you, when I look at your career and your podcast, I'm going to say the best is yet to come, five. (laughs) Yes! And for you too. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, Rob, it's been so lovely talking. I've just realized I've kept up an hour of your time, but this has been just amazing chatting to you. It was my pleasure. It's great to meet you. And uh, I'm just humbled that people have any, still have any interest in me and in Scrubs. So thanks for letting me go on and on for, for, about myself for a minute or two. I'm sorry. I absolutely had a ball. <laughs> I would have kept you for four more hours. Only you have to go to work. Um, but do let me know if you are, if you do sign up for Comic Con over here let me know i'd love to bring you out for i i'll see how many pints get bought for you first okay yeah yeah i'm older now we have to switch over to something else i don't know something a little easier or less i don't know (laughs) we're going to lighter beer okay (laughs) (laughs) until then have an absolute great day and thank you so much for everybody great to meet you nice to meet thank you so much too oh so much okay talk to you soon rob goodbye five bye five (laughs) (laughs) Bye. bye bye First episode, high five. Yes. We high fived about 46,000 times in this episode. We had such a laugh. Obviously on Zoom, you can see we're chatting away and we were just like laughing and and he looks the exact same. Honestly, if I was on a TV show and it was 20 years later, I don't think I would look the same because I definitely don't look like what I looked like 20 years ago when I was 17. Um, But... Rob definitely does and you know he still has all the best jokes from Scrubs he still remembers it all so much time for his fans and so many people just like try and shy away from the thing that made them famous trying to you know pretend they're too cool for it or whatever it is Rob is just like embraces it he does what he can for the fans obviously as I mentioned the cameos you have to go and get a cameo off him it's going to be worth it for you for your boyfriend girlfriend husband, best friend, whatever it is, if they're 40th, it's their wedding. Wedding would be great crack, actually, because you're going to be playing it in a large environment. And I know somebody who got one for, like Paul McGrath was doing it, and that everyone, the cheers went up. Imagine if you get the Todd. Come on, you're going to get the biggest laugh of the night. You're going to be the legend that did it. So come on, that's a great, great gift. All you have to do is go on to Cameo and search for Robert Mashew, or just the easy way is to go on to his Instagram, obviously hit follow and then go and uh, from the link in his bio it'll be there and look if you're thinking about buying a house in Santa Monica you could be listening to this from Santa Monica and you're thinking I'm going to sell my house or I'm going to buy a house and you're thinking who else but to buy from the Todd Um, I'd love to buy a house in Santa Monica but I just don't see it happening um, anytime soon but hey a girl can dream a girl can dream and maybe if you are a Comic Con fan make sure to tag Dublin Comic Con and tell them to bring back Rob and maybe he can bring John C. McGinley or some of the other scrubs gang over now it's been a whopper episode I've just loved every second of it I'm so glad to be back and thank you so much for listening Um, 
I feel like I've just waffled your ears off here, people. I'm just so excited. It's been a while since I've been in front of the microphone and you can probably tell how happy I am to be back. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, if you enjoy this, do follow, rate, review, the usual crack that you get in all those podcasts. Um, send me a message on Instagram or Twitter and let me know you enjoyed it. Anyway, I'm just glad to have you here. Listen, good luck to yourselves. I hope you all have a great weekend. Wrap up warm and um, I will chat to you soon. Slongafol. Bye.